If you will, turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy. If you're visiting with us this morning, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. And we are coming to the end of our study of the book of 2 Timothy. And last week, we came to the final section that will take us at least a month or two. (laughs) But it is verses 4 to 9, a big section of Scripture that deals with people. And we started studying this last week because this is the final section of the book of 2 Timothy, the very last book that the Apostle Paul will have recorded in Scripture. And we just read verses 9 to 15 because we just wanted to start one section and, and of this final part. And let me just read verse 9. It says, Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for service. But Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. But when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas and, and with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. As I noted last week, the teaching on, or the info on every one of these people are very brief. There's no instruction here that says you bring a cloak and you bring parchments. There's nothing where you have to go home, get a book, and take it to the Apostle Paul. There isn't no dispatch of you to Ephesus. There's no dispatch of you to Galatia. There is no, there is no warning for you to look out specifically for somebody named Alexander. So what are you supposed to do with this? You are supposed to learn from this. You are supposed to learn about the people here. You are supposed to learn about them and learn about how they lived and how they served. And, and as we said last week, learn that people matter to God. And this is a reminder to all of us that people matter to God and that people are used very much in ministry to reach other people. Some of these people are going to be just mainly leaders that are mentioned, but then other names as we get down to verses 19 to 22, you'll see there are people that we don't know that much about them, just men, women in the congregation that did not go unnamed because God cared about them. And we looked last week, if you weren't with us, at Luke 15, how people matter to God as we looked at the lost coin, lost son, lost sheep, lost sheep, lost coin. People matter to God. And, and, and yet, through all of this, what was very evident to me as we started working through it is that these people that are mentioned here are people that are very important to God because they are servants. And how God really wants us all to be people who serve, to be workers. Whether it's Timothy or Demas or Titus or Alexander, what is expected of everyone, if you're a believer, is for you to be in service for God. I think that's interesting how this comes out. That's the main, one of the main characteristics. You see, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, it isn't just for you to revel in your salvation. I'm saved, and now I can go live any way I want. I want you to all be clear today that when you become a believer, what you've done is you've turned from your sin, right? Because before, who was on the throne? You are. What, what am I doing? What am I about? What do I, what do I care about? You know? And, and it's so critical that we understand that wages of sin is death, and, and, and 
sin isn't just like the doing wrong, it's, it's the very promotion of self. And so when I turn from my sin and recognize, wow, I am guilty before an all-holy God, that there's no way for me to pay the penalty, that I turn from it and I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that he was God-man who died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins, but it's not just mere agreement, it is a commitment where at that time, when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, believing that his death on the cross paid the penalty and that his resurrection proved that the penalty was accepted, was that at that time, the Holy Spirit comes into me, takes over, and what happens? He puts me in this thing called the body of Jesus Christ, and I now represent Christ on earth with everybody that's in this church. Because the emphasis on Scripture seems to be the local church, the local body. And look at the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to turn back there as a background for this text. And I want this to be encouraging to you so that you all recognize how God looks at each one of you as important. Not just from a worldly perspective of like a false self-esteem promotion this morning but the idea is that god recognizes everybody here is important in their service and the responsibility and the apostle paul is describing the body of christ in first corinthians 12 and i just pick up as he's been speaking about how the holy spirit gives everybody a spiritual gift and he says this in verse 12 for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And here's the truth. There's one spiritual body that represents Jesus Christ on earth. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in that spiritual body. And how it manifests itself is in through what we believe is the local church. Verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. And I recognize, even though in his body, everybody is in this, no exceptions, all workers. And recognizing there is this universal, all the true believers are in this body. Like I said, manifests itself in the local church, but then there is the realization that we are all tied together, all true believers. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. Church isn't just one person. It's not just the pastor, not just an elder, it's not just a significant person, it's everybody. And verse 15, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not a, uh, an eye, I am not a, a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And the idea is that many people, one body, not everybody can have the same part, no one can say they're not needed. Everyone here is needed, and none of us would ever say, boy, I don't want my hand or my foot or my eye. I mean, anybody who loses a body part, they recognize, wow, that body part did so much. And so God here using the human body as an analogy so that everybody recognizes their role, how significant they are. Verse 16, and if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And so someone says, I, I don't have this prominent part. I'd like to be the eye, but I'm not, so therefore I'm really not that significant. That's foolish. That is not true. Now, you may not sovereignly like how God 
placed you, where he made you, the type of individual. But everybody here, as you recognize, is incredibly valuable. If you're a believer, you're part of our local body, you're so needed. And where somebody is a believer and they're not actively doing so their service, it does hurt the body. And so verse 16 says, if an ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body, you can't make yourself less. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? You know, we all can't do the same thing. Otherwise, be just big eye just rolling down the street, this big nose rolling down the street. It wouldn't make sense, right? And so instead of bemoaning the fact that these seems to be my spiritual gifts and maybe I'm not always up front, maybe I don't have prominence, that you can recognize I need to do whatever I can to represent Jesus Christ. And so, verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head, I have no need of you. We cannot be arrogant and think that somebody's not needed. And, and as a pastor, the, the, one of the things you realize over time, it's incredibly hum humble, a great level of humility because there's so much that goes on in a church and it's just so critical that everybody is active in doing something to represent Jesus Christ and to serve him because it can't just be a one-man show. It can't just be the elder show going, you know, if you work down through it, it can't just be the band show, you know, the music ministry team. Everybody's got to play a role. Everyone's got some aspect. And it could be just that you get on your knees and you pray all week, or you write a, a note to somebody, or when somebody comes on a Sunday morning, you greet them, and you faithfully do that. So with that in mind, recognizing all of this, it's, what is key is that you do something, whether it's in an official capacity or not, you just serve. And I think you see this as we go back to 2 Timothy you just flip back there. As Paul is talking to these people, it's very evident. These people were just all playing out the roles. They were serving. So in verse 9, if you already have your notes, what we did is we looked at verse 9 last week. Paul calls for it. We said a visit from Timothy. And we talked about how important it was that Timothy come. Paul in chapter 1 talked about he longed to see Timothy. Even though Timothy's not specifically named in verse 9, he was in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This letter is to Timothy. Paul tells Timothy he longed for him, he wants him, he, he cries to see him. And we said it's evidence of Paul's humanity. Paul wanted that companionship. But Paul, even though he talks about all these people in the next verse that have left him and only Luke is with him, we're talking about the leaders because there's an entire church there where Paul is. Paul's in Rome. And Paul is talking about key people that, are, that are, need to be around him. And one of the things that was important for Timothy was that Timothy not be ashamed of him and that he joined him in what? Suffering. Because why? Because we live in a world that hates the gospel. Paul's in prison for the gospel. And we said that when everything was said and done, we don't know exactly how it all played out, but the book of Hebrews ends with Timothy being released from prison. So the thought was historically that somewhere along the line, Timothy came and stood up for the gospel. Hopefully that others would stand up as well. 
And then we went into verse 10, and three people were noted as to why he wanted a visit. D Demas, who was unfaithful, didn't finish strong. He deserted. But we don't know much about why Cretans or why Titus were sent to these other areas. Each one of us, uh, each one of them had like a story. Um, Demas was mentioned a few times earlier, five years earlier, different letters, Colossians, Philemon, somebody who was a fellow worker, but he didn't finish strong. And from a human perspective, every one of you must recognize to the day you die, how you live matters. How you live matters. Demas didn't finish strong. Was Demas saved? We don't know. We talked about how Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter was saved. But the key thing is, is Peter got restored. Could Demas have gotten restored? Could have. I love the tension. It just reminds us, sometimes we don't know. God knows the heart. But for us, we want to learn from Demas. We don't want to finish our lives on a weak note. And then we talked about Cretans. Only time he's mentioned in Scripture. Wow, great guy. Um, you got to mention in Scripture, that's better than some. But God knew about him, and Cretans mattered to people. And Titus was somebody who gets a whole letter to him later on, right? Or, well, it would have already been written. Significant individual. And we learned about, you know, that he went to Dalmatia, which was what we call modern-day Yugoslavia, that, that area, okay? So now, as we move to verse 11 and verse 12, Paul notes now on three fill-in-the-blank helpful people. It's, it's very evident that these are three. Only Luke is with me, he says, pick up Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful to me, but Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. And so here we got three people that each one is unique, and the thought reminds me about them being very faithful and helpful. First person, Luke. You say the name Luke in Scripture, you should automatically think of what? The guy that wrote the book of Luke, as well as the book of Acts. It's in the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon that he's mentioned. Interestingly, every time he's mentioned, he's mentioned in the group with Demas. Those are the like, only times that he's specifically mentioned by name. But it was, and you can just jot this down, that he's recognized as a fellow worker in Philemon, verse 24. I'm not going to have you just always flip pages to flip pages. You can look at Colossians 4.14, where he's called the beloved physician. And, and, and it's believed that he was a doctor. And what's the significance about that? Well, they did have doctors back then. I don't know if they were using bloodletting and stuff like that, but there was a doctor in the thought. We don't know how prominent his practice was, but here is the key thing when you think about Luke. He's called the beloved physician. So it's thought that he, he was somebody that, that they really cared for, they loved because of his service. And turn in your Bibles, this is a passage you should need to start, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts 16, verse 10. And I want you to hear what I'm reading and then see if you pick up what is so significant. It's in Acts 16.10 that something significant happens. And in Acts 16.10, the, the, the story of the, the second missionary journey is being told, and it says this. And it says, when Paul had, in speaking of he, he is the apostle Paul, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel 
to them. So putting out the sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on that day, following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. <coughs> now, if you would have been reading from the first 15 chapters, verses 10 to 12 would have a very significant change. And for the first time, you would see from a narrative standpoint, the word we. Real simple, the word we. And, and it's believed at this point the apostle, that Luke, not the apostle, that Luke joins the trip and he is part of the mission trip. And then as you work through the book of Acts, he'll stop and then he'll pick back up. But this is the thing. This is why it's believed that he's called a fellow worker in Philemon. He's called the, he's called the beloved physician. It's believed that he gave his practice up. He gave his time to serve. And from that service, he will take not just his medical abilities, but his ability to note and do observation that he writes two books that are so used by everyone, Luke and the book of Acts. It's said like when you read the book of Acts that you'll pick up on medical terms and medical terminology and the observations that Luke used very, very much evidence of a man who is very detailed. You got to remember that if, just take the book of Acts with its historical significance and transition, if unbelievers could find anything wrong, anything wrong about the Bible, and especially like the book of Acts, it would be all ways to just, hey, we don't have to deal with Christianity. We have to denounce it. We can denounce it. Luke was such a great writer. And so when you go back to 2 Timothy and you see that Paul says, only Luke is with me, it means one who was so beloved. Maybe he was treating Paul for his eye problem, beloved physician. Some people thought that Luke traveled with Paul to help take care of him medically because Paul had some, so many medical problems from all the beatings. But Luke is with me. Luke was somebody that he could trust and depend upon, rely upon. Remember, the whole church is there. It, Paul isn't alone from the standpoint of other church people, but leaders sometimes need other leaders. And so he says, only Luke is with me. So just remember, there's a story behind these names. And people would have understood, wow, that's Luke the physician. That's the guy that gave up his profession. That's the guy who's serving God. That's the guy that's been so faithful throughout the years. Throughout the story of the book of Acts, throughout the gathering and coming to writing the book of Luke that we are all so endeared to today. Pick up Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful to my service. Mark, Mark is someone we know a lot more about. You say, wait a second, Mark, don't we have another gospel by that name and we say yeah just like we have a gospel for luke we have a gospel for mark mark is someone that gets mentioned numerous times in scripture and he was somebody that has a great story because here it says pick up mark and bring him with you for he is useful to service useful he he's someone that can add to what what i do i i can count on him i can use him the word useful there is a word that in the New Testament plays a key role on 
uh, in the book of Philemon, because the, the, the slave's name, um, there's a play on words in the words in the slave's name in the book of Philemon, um, in the sense of one that he was not useful, but now he is useful. And people point out that Mark here is being called someone that is useful as well. And, and, and that's like phenomenal when you understand the, the, the New Testament and you understand that this was a guy that somebody would say he wigged out on us. If, if you go back to the book of Acts, let's go back there, I want you to understand that Mark is someone that plays a key role in the book of Acts. Oh, and let me have you go... I think it's in Acts 5, yes. Um, the first time that Mark appears, it's not, it's not directly as him doing something. It's that Peter is in prison, and Peter is, is, is in prison, and the church key people are all meeting, and where are they meeting? They're meeting at Mark's house, at his mother's house. And somebody yell out the verse, where is it to me? I can't find it. Um, you have to trust me. They speak in the interview. Isn't it Mark 5? Did I miss it? Is it Mark 4? I mean, Acts 4, Acts 4 I meant. All right, you're going to have to trust me. I don't have the right reference. It's killing me. This is going on and on. You like this? I'm looking for the reference that they were in Mark's house. They were in Mark's house. As the whole church was praying, Bradley, you can't find this. <laughs> They were looking for, they were, they were all hanging out in Mark's house, and it's John Mark's house, and I wanted you to see that it's, he's called, he's called John, and so he's got this name John Mark, and so this is before the first missionary journey. They go on the first missionary journey, and, and from here, and from here, Mark basically finds that it's very difficult, and as they're going through this trip, what happens is, is when they come to Pamphylia in the book of Acts chapter 12, Mark says that, um, the, the, oh, I, I, it's, my, it's all my bad. It's Acts chapter 12. I found it. They, Peter's arrested. They were arrested a few times. It's in Mark cha Acts chapter 12. They are in, they, they are in um, Mark's mother's house. It says, and when he realizes, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many gathered together and were praying, and when he knocked the door. So that's, that's the reference of him being called John Mark. Then you go into Acts chapter 13, and then we're, it's here where, we, where you would see in Acts chapter 13 that, that Mark leaves Paul in Pamphylia, and the key element is that when we come into Acts chapter 15, 
They're about to go on the missionary journey. And let's just pick up in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return. This is Acts chapter 15. And visit the brethren in every city in which we were proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to, to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated with one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was strengthening through, and as he was traveling through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. I guess it's probably one of the most interesting studies in development of a person that we have in Scripture, because here you have Mark, who's on the first missionary journey, and he leaves them. He, in essence, deserts them. And now they're going on the second missionary journey. And Paul says, I don't want to take it. And Barnabas says, yeah, we should. And it's so sad that there's so, such a disagreement. Um, should they have taken him? People say, well, Mark turned out okay, didn't he? And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, came along and brought him along. But there's others that say, no, you should never have taken him. And I'm sort of on the other side of that, on that side of the agreement. It, Paul was the leader. And Paul said, we're not taking them. And, and because of the fact that, that, that Barnabas doesn't go with Paul, there are so many New Testament letters that say Paul and Silas. They don't say Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas missed out on a lot. But in the end, Paul isn't somebody that holds a grudge. Paul was somebody that, that looked at the situation and said, you know, Mark's come along. God is a God of second chances. Some of you have messed up. Some of you haven't been everything that you're supposed to be. Pick yourself up. Hopefully, as a church, we'll come alongside, and you'll say, I'm going to get into service. I'm going to be somebody that says, I'm going to learn from my, my mistakes. I, I, I didn't go, come through faithfully. Maybe I was like Mark. I wigged out. I was supposed to go to an evangelism thing. Maybe I was supposed to be somewhere, and I didn't show up. Hey, listen, God is a God of second chances sometimes third and fourth chances. And Mark is somebody that ends up being useful. And I think that's a great testimony to our God. Go back to 2 Timothy. You might look at the next person. You say, Tychius, why, what's so significant about him? So we've looked at Luke. We looked at Mark. We looked at now we come to the person Tychius. Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus. What I want you to do is I want you to jot down. I want you to jot down just two references, Colossians 4, 7, Ephesians 6, 21. Both of these texts identify Tychius as the bearer of the letters, Colossians and Ephesians. At least that's the thought, that he was bringing information to, the, to Colossians, to the, to the churches at, well, the church at Ephesus, but Ephesus might be a circular letter, at least that he was carrying the letter. And, and we don't know that much about Tychius. He is a reference sometimes in other letters as someone that, <coughs> he, a, a worker, someone who's good. Um, but here he says, Tychius I sent to Ephesus. And Ephesus, we have the church at Ephesus. We have the church that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, the church at Ephesus. Why is Tychius going there? Taking more information, maybe taking another letter. What I want you to think about is, if Tychius is, as it's thought theologically, the bearer of the books of Colossians and the book of Ephesians, think about all the people that have read that book. And one day, Tychius is carrying a letter. And he's thinking, you know, 
All these other people get the big, do, the big work. And all I get to do is carry a letter to Colossians. And all I do, get to do is carry a letter to Ephesus. But he was faithful. He did his thing, and because of that, now we have a letter to Colossians. We have a letter to Ephesians. Did anybody hear on the news two weeks ago? They found the Chicago male woman that she couldn't get her route done. She was feeling the pressure. So she took thousands of pieces of mail and started throwing it in the trash. People in the neighborhood saw the mail person at one of the big trash bins taking her mail bag and just throwing it over. And they said, what's going on? And because they investigated, they found all this mail that was thrown away. And, and, so, and so you think, wow, Tychius was faithful. I mean, he could have just said, this isn't really that significant, but he was faithful. Okay, quickly, let's move on. Paul, Paul brings up his specific reflectiveness, trust in Carpus. Verse 13, when you bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus in the books, especially the parchments, fill in the blank, trust. It reflects an incredible trust. When you come bring the cloak, okay, it's a coat, and the books. Now, I can go on in detail, but the, the, both of these were expensive items. A cloak, a coat, Paul is probably thinking this trial is dragging on, maybe because of the legal procedures, it's going to go through winter, and I need to be warm. I've left this with a man named Carpus. Only time we have him mentioned here in Scripture. And I've, got, I've given him books. Books at this time are extremely expensive. And what does this reflect? Well, he left this with Carpus because Carpus could be trusted. Have you ever given something to somebody and you can't trust them? You can't depend upon them to come? Hey, I gave you a coat and it's not, where is it? Oh, I left it. I forgot it. No, Carpus remembered it. And, and, and Carpus was somebody he could give these books to. And he'd say, Carpus, where's the books? Oh, I'm sorry. I left them out in the rain. You know? <laughs> it's like last night I come outside. I come outside and, and I'm reading. And I look over in our, in our backyard. And there's this big jar of peanut butter on our backyard. Because our child has decided that he wants to go trap a cat. And, 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 and so to catch a cat, he's going to catch it with peanut butter. And our child thinks that, that, if he, that, that he doesn't have to put his peanut butter away. And so this big jar, peanut butter costs money. My son's telling me, stop, I'll stop. Listen, <laughs> Carpus could be trusted. And when someone gives you something and they hand you something, can you be trusted? This also tells us a little bit about Paul. Paul's near death, and, and he's pushing on. The, the, most people think these parchments, these books, all deal with ministry. And, 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 and Paul wants to either use these to write or get these out and make sure they're all collected and processed. And I, and I just want to point out something to you here, is that, is that he, he, look, parchments and, and, and books is because God has chosen books and writings to communicate his information. And I want you to understand how important books are. Paul is near death, and he's communicating these books that many people think are some New Testament books that they've already started to work to compile as this is about the year 67 AD. And my point for all of you is a side note is I want you to recognize how important it is for you to recognize these books and parchments that we now have in what's called the New Testament Bible and a full Bible, including the Old Testament, is important for you to read. Be people who are regularly reading your Bible and reading is so important. 
And so if these were just, if these are just books, which I don't think they're like Sports Illustrated or some other kind of book, even then it's evidence of how Paul wanted to read. Paul wanted to read, and I tell you, be people who read. One of the things that you see with people who move forward in life, people who do things in life, are people who are reading. They're reading. You know, yesterday I had one of the greatest days of my life. I'm sad to say, I can't say, my wife was away. <laughs> and my daughter was away, and it was just me watching the sun. That's why I got the peanut butter, it was loose. But I had three, four hours where I could just take the day and I could just read. And it was so much fun just to read. I told her when she came home, I had one of the greatest days of my life. I just read. read I read the Bible. I read casually. I just read. And, and Paul was somebody who read. And he was somebody who wrote. And I just want you to have that love of reading the Bible. You don't necessarily have to read casual other books, but be somebody who reads. Carpus was somebody we learned from. He had a trust in him. We'll stop here. We'll talk next time about, um, we'll get into Alexander next week. I, I want you to see, you know, all of these people, all of these people are people that were evidence of, of people working in the body of Christ. And every one of you must recognize, whether you're a toe, whether you're an eye, whether you're a nose, that you're all someone that God is counting on you to represent him. I have four points. You can close your Bibles. You don't have to close your notes. Number one, I hope that we learn through this that service matters. Key people are mentioned to work and keep working. And people in this section are, are mentioned that failed in their work. Don't be a person who's mentioned as they failed. Service does matter. What you're doing for the Lord. If you don't know how to serve God, let me, let me tell you. I'll help you. I'll try to find the areas. My goodness. You know, I write our newsletter to our shut-ins every week. And one of the things I tell them all the time is, is, you know, if you don't know what else to do for us, you feel like you can't get out of the house, pray for us. There are going to be so many people who feel like they're disabled. They can't get out of the house. They can't do anything. But they've committed their life to prayer. And, and when people send me notes, say they're praying for me, I believe it. They're praying for, praying, praying, praying. So service does matter. Number two, how we finish does matter. Don't be somebody like Demas. Be somebody like Paul. Be somebody like Luke. Be somebody like Titus. Finish your life faithful. Be faithful to the end. Number three, get the gospel out. It does matter. Paul is sending people all the time. Galatia, Dalmatia, Ephesians, uh, Ephesus. He's tending these people because ministry matters. And these people are going there because they want to continue to build the church up and to get the gospel out. So we know that. We know that it's what they're doing. And so let's remember how critical it is to get the gospel out. And fourth, as we'll pick up next week, there are false teachers. People like Alexander, we'll see. People who aren't faithful like Demas. My hope is that none of you are like this man. I'll leave you with this story. It's called Mr. Lukewarm, okay? This was in our daily bread several years back, and it said this. The author wrote, recently I talked to a man, and I will call him Mr. Luke Warm. Luke is the first name, Warm is the last. Ha <laughs> ha. 
for he is neither cold nor hot. He says that he's a Christian, but seldom attends church. He says, I am under a great deal of tension where I work, he explained, and often go fishing on weekends for relaxation. Church is all right, but a person can't do everything, you know. Mr. Lukewarm also had an uneasy conscience about giving, for he continued, I put a dollar or two in the offering plate whenever I go, and I think that's all God can expect of me. If I gave a tenth of my income, it would amount to more than $2,000 a year. You just don't know how expensive it is for me to maintain my cabin in the lake and pay dues to keep my membership at the country club and the bowling league. Anyway, churches put too much emphasis on money. Sometimes I get so disgusted with this talk about sacrificing for Christ, Mr. Lukewarm says, that I feel like... I feel like quitting altogether. And I don't want any of you to be like that. It's not just enough just to attend here on church. Where are you serving? Where are you like Titus and Carpus and Luke? Be like those people. Not names just thrown, filler words at the end of a book, but people who left us an example. And maybe you've messed up like Mark. Be like Mark. Say, I want to finish strong, even though I messed up early. Be someone who's faithful in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, people matter to you. We're thankful. And how people live does matter too. Lord, I pray that we'll be a church that recognizes we may not get our name in the Bible, but you know what we're doing, you know how we're serving. You know how we're living. And I pray, God, that every one of us is recognizing our responsibility to be faithful members of the body of Christ and that we need to represent your care and concern for other people. For as servants of yours, Lord, I pray that we are people that really recognize that people matter to you. We thank you now, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ on this Memorial Day weekend, recognizing that Jesus paid the greatest sacrifice. But it doesn't have to stop there. For God, you want us to follow in his footsteps. May we be people who sacrifice our lives in the way we serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.